Contrary to common assumptions, Jesus is not so much the answer man as he is the question man. As we read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asks far more many questions than he answers. In fact, more often than not, when Jesus was asked a question himself, he answered with a question of his own. And if we add them all up, Jesus asked 307 questions in the four Gospels. This morning, as we continue our new series of lessons, questions Jesus asked, we come to the fault-finding question here in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? As illustrated in the video a moment ago, this question has to do with being judgmental, always criticizing, being nitpicky, looking for shortcomings and failures in others. I call it fault-finding. Questions Jesus asked. This morning, let's take a closer look at what Jesus had to say about this fault-finding question here in Matthew chapter 7. And let's begin by looking at the Scripture together. Now, before we read through today's text, let's pause right here. Let's ask God to speak to us through His Word, the Bible, today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we sit at your feet as your disciples did. We are ready not only to listen, but we are ready to obey. Teach us today from your words, timeless words, relevant words, Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive the truth. And may it find a home in us, and may that seed of truth sprout and bear fruit, the kind of fruit you would love to see, as we become more and more like our Master, you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Okay, follow along in your Bible as I read Jesus' words here. In Matthew chapter 7, we pick it up with verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's work our way through these five verses, verse by verse, beginning, of course, with verse 1. Jesus begins by instructing us, do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is, I think, perhaps the most widely recognized and quoted verse in the entire Bible. More than John 3.16, yes. And unfortunately, those 
who are quick to quote this verse are most often doing so completely out of context. They love to point out that Jesus commanded us not to judge, period. They've interpreted this to mean that we have no right to analyze or evaluate the actions of others, that we have no grounds to conclude that a person's behavior, decisions, or lifestyle is wrong. And they use this command from Jesus to justify just about any evil practice, stupid decision, or alternative lifestyle that they find they want to. And they use this verse as a guilt club to beat up anyone who would take a stand for righteousness or biblical values. Simply put, do not judge has become the cry of our world today for tolerance, acceptance, open-mindedness. However, this is not at all what Jesus is instructing here. This Greek word judge, krino, literally means to condemn. It means to punish. Taken in context, as we'll see just a moment in verses 3 through 5, Jesus is instructing us not to have a critical, fault-finding spirit of condemnation toward others. Not to be in the habit of being judgmental or nitpicky. He's not telling us that we should avoid making judgments altogether. On the contrary, the Bible repeatedly instructs us to judge and to discern. In fact, in the very next verse, Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus teaches, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, certainly that implies judgment on our part because, after all, who are the dogs and who are the pigs? Later in this very same chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus tells us, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Now surely that calls for judgment on our part. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, Jesus instructs us to exercise judgment when it comes to someone who offends us. In fact, in verse 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Judgment. The Apostle Paul was clear that there are times when church discipline is to be practiced in dealing with an unrepentant church member. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he confronts the church in Corinth about a man in their midst who was flaunting his sexual immorality. Instead of tolerating this blatant sin, Paul asked in verse 2, Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? In fact, he goes on in that same chapter and says, you ought to expel this man from your midst. Certainly that's judgment. The Apostle John instructs us to use judgment in 1 John 4 and verse 1. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in this world. Again, doesn't that involve judgment? 
And the point is, we could go on and on, but let's go back to verse 1. Do not judge. Here's how the message paraphrases it. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. In the parallel passage, Luke 6, verse 37, Jesus words it simply, do not condemn. In summary then, Jesus is not prohibiting judgment altogether. This verse is not promoting blind tolerance or indiscriminate acceptance. Rather, Jesus is warning us against criticism. Having a hypercritical spirit that's quick to condemn other people. Being nitpicky and fault-finding. We must exercise judgment, yes, without being judgmental. Now in the last part of verse 1, Jesus says, or you too will be judged. Or as the message puts it, unless of course you want the same treatment. Jesus reminds us that if we're quick to find fault in others, if we do jump to conclusions and condemn others, we will only bring judgment upon ourselves. In fact, verse 2 elaborates even further. Jesus continues, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The Amplified Bible translates it this way, For just as you judge and criticize and condemn others, where am I? There it is. You will be judged and criticized and condemned. And in accordance with the measure you deal out to others, it will be dealt out again to you. The message simply paraphrases it. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. (laughs) And the big question here is, who reciprocates this judgment? Who measures out this criticism back to us? It seems to me that there are two possibilities. First of all, of course, others. Simply put, when we're nitpicky and fault-finding toward others, others will be nitpicky and fault-finding toward us in return. If we are hypercritical and judgmental in the way we treat others, then we can expect that others will be hypercritical and judgmental of us. We reap the attitude we sow. But there's a second possibility here, and that, of course, is God. Simply put, when we're nitpicking and fault-finding toward others, when we're hypercritical and judgmental in the way we treat others, God will deal with us on those same terms. This principle is akin to what Jesus taught us about forgiveness in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. That's a tough verse. And whatever else may be said about that, it's obvious that there is in fact a direct correlation between how we treat others and how we can expect God to treat us. David put it this way in Psalm 18, The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the crooked you show yourself shrewd. 
So who reciprocates this judgment? Who measures out this criticism back to us? Is it others or is it God? Yes, <laughs> both. Which brings us then to verses 3 through 5. Follow along in your Bible once again as I read them. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, does Jesus have a sense of humor here? I mean, can you just picture this in your imagination? <laughs> here I am. Here you are with a plank, a, a tree stuck in our eyes, and we're wanting to remove the speck of sawdust, the little eyelash from someone else's eye? I mean, this whole picture is ridiculous. That's the point. Obviously, Jesus uses an overstatement of a third word picture to get across what he's trying to say. And what is his point? I believe the key word is actually found in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You see, Jesus is warning us against looking for something to criticize and condemn in others. Again, he's teaching us not to always be looking for faults, shortcomings, failures in what other people say or do. He's pointing out the utter folly of nitpicking and fault finding. We must not be the kind of people who seem to derive a malicious sort of pleasure from pointing out the weaknesses in other people. That's hypocrisy. That's being two-faced. Now again, I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus is not instructing us to avoid helping others with their shortcomings. In fact, doesn't verse 5 indicate that we have a responsibility to intervene and assist others in overcoming their faults when we're invited into that situation? Jesus says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When we have the opportunity to do that and are invited into that situation, Jesus, in fact, expects us to do this. To help one another in our walk with Christ. But before we can even attempt to help others, Jesus says, first, first, <laughs> don't miss that word, take the plank out of your own eye. As we're gently and lovingly helping others with their weaknesses, we must never, ever be blind to our own sin. Let's read the Apostle Paul's instructions in Galatians 6 and verse 1 out loud together. Would you read it with me? If any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, who are controlled by the Spirit, should set him or her right and restore and reinstate them without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, always keeping an attentive eye on yourself. Boy, don't miss that last part of that verse there. Without any sense of superiority... With all gentleness, always keeping an attentive eye on yourself. Well, let's look at the Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn 
from our study together. What are some relevant applications that we can make from Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5? What are the take-home principles that we should put into practice in our daily lives? Let me suggest five key principles from the fault-finding question today. Number one is the principle of reciprocation. The principle of reciprocation. Once again, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I'm sure that we have probably by now covered this principle of reciprocation pretty sufficiently. The question that we face in light of Jesus' teaching is this. Am I willing to be judged by the same standard that I judge others? Do I realize the attitude I hold when I am critical of others is the same attitude that will be reciprocated back to me by others and ultimately by God? Am I willing to recognize that the manner and measure by which I find fault in others is exactly the manner and measure by which others will find fault in me? It's the boomerang effect. What we sow, we reap. Enough said. Reciprocation. Number two is the principle of limitation. The principle of limitation... Although this principle is not directly addressed by Jesus in today's text, I think it's certainly a key biblical principle for personal application, and we must not ignore it. The point is, our ability to judge others is very limited in its scope. In fact, let's read out loud together what God Himself said, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. Read this with me. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, we make judgments based upon what we can see. The outward appearance. Which is very limited. And sometimes that gets us into some pretty serious trouble. (laughs) as we jump to conclusions based upon the limited knowledge or perspective that we have. I read a story this past week of a man who was driving home late one night when he picked up a hitchhiker. And as they rode along, he began to feel a little unease and a little suspicion toward his passenger. And when he checked to see if his wallet was safe in the pocket of his coat that was on the seat between them, he was shocked to find that it wasn't there. And so he slammed on the brakes and pulled off to the side, ordered the hitchhiker out and said, all right, give me the wallet. The frightened hitchhiker handed over the billfold and the man drove off. When he arrived home, he started to tell his wife all about the experience, but before he got started, she said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, before I forget, honey, do you know that you left your wallet on the counter this morning when you left the house? Oopsie daisy. (laughs) You see, our ability to judge is limited by our knowledge. We do not, we cannot see all that God can see. 
Our view is very limited. And all, how often do we jump to conclusions without the facts? How often do we criticize someone when we don't know the whole story? How often do we make snap judgments when we haven't walked in their shoes? How often do we criticize another person's motives when we don't even really know what's in their heart? Which reminds me to remind you that any judgment we ever render is not God's judgment. You do understand that, right? It's not the final judgment. We must be ever so careful not to usurp God's throne. I mean, He's still on the throne, folks. And to put ourselves in the place of the judge. In fact, James 4 verse 12 reminds us there's only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And again, that Greek word there, judge, means to condemn punish. It implies making an absolute final judgment. And folks, only God has that ability and that responsibility. It's not ours. Our judgment is never to be final and absolute. Limitation. Number three is the principle of opinion. The principle of opinion Again, this principle is not directly addressed by Jesus in today's text, but I would be amiss in teaching the whole truth about fault-finding and judgmentalism if I didn't at least touch on this for a moment. See, whenever the Bible speaks of our need to judge others, it is always in reference to truth. To a clear command from God. What is in black and white? uh, Thus saith God the Lord. It is not in reference to personal opinion. I urge you to read the Apostle Paul's word from the Lord on the issue of opinions in Romans chapter 14. Time doesn't allow us to treat this subject fully this morning in this lesson, but let us suffice to say that when it comes to matters of opinion, something where we do not have clear-cut instruction from God in the Bible, we are not to pass judgment on someone else. Here's just a sampling of what Paul writes in Romans 14. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Treat them gently. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by finding fault. Again, I urge you to read the entire 14th chapter of Romans on your own later. It's a clear reminder for us to refrain from being nitpicky and fault-finding when it comes to matters of opinion. I wasn't going to go down this rabbit trail, but I'm going to for just a second, okay? Okay. A lot was being said about yesterday, September the 23rd, the alignment of the planets. A lot of stuff out there online, you know. Well, if you did, if you didn't, yeah. Well, go after the fact. Now I'll tell you. Go. I didn't say anything about this beforehand because I just felt like it wasn't worth saying. But um, 
a lot of opinions about, you know, something significant was going to happen. I mean, there was predictions, everything from the Lord's rapture yesterday. A lot of people said that was going to happen. The assassination of Donald Trump was going to happen yesterday. Uh, there was going to be all kinds of other things happen across the world, catastrophes. It was going to be the ushering in of the tribulation yesterday. Okay. I didn't say anything about it. I had a couple of you come to me individually about that and ask me my opinion. And basically, I'll give you the same opinion I'm going to give you right now. First of all, I was very quick not to make judgments other than the fact that God says don't try to set dates. But I was not going to criticize those who were feeling something was going to happen because it very well could have happened yesterday. The reality is what I was... But my reply to all of that has to do is this, simply this. That, yeah, ding, ding, somebody's looking it up online right now. <laughs> the whole point, the whole point of all this is what did Jesus say? Watch therefore because you do not know the day or the hour. We must be ready at all times. Today would be just as good a day as yesterday. Tomorrow would be just as good a day as today. We must be prepared at all times because the fact is we are living in the end times and His return could happen any time. And if we're ready, rather than trying to figure out how it's going to happen, let's just be ready because we know it's going to happen. Okay? So... There's a, an area of opinion, just kind of letting you know. I'm not going to be judgmental of those who did that yesterday other than in direct relationship where Jesus says, you don't know the day or the hour. The point is, be ready. And stay on watch. Stay on watch. Be ready at all times. Okay, back from the rabbit trail. As one early church father put it, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, Liberty in all things, love. We need to live by that, folks. Number four is the principle of introspection. The principle of introspection, this application principle, is what Jesus teaches us in verses 3 through 5. As Jesus himself summarized in verse 5, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, any and all judgment is to be rendered with introspection. Self-examination must always precede criticism. Jesus reminds us that we can never judge another without first judging self. When times come when we do have to admonish a fellow believer based upon Scripture, we do so as a co-sinner. You with me? as an equally fallen saint. And in this way, we treat each other as brothers and sisters, as equals in the Lord. An attitude of brokenness and humility before God and before others must always precede any confrontation. Here's how one commentator I read this past week summed it up. Fill in the blanks there in your notes. The mirror must always come before the magnifying glass. The mirror must always come before the magnifying glass. It's all about introspection. Number five is the principle of edification. 
The principle of edification. This principle simply reminds us that whenever we exercise judgment, whenever we draw alongside one, someone to confront him or her about something, we must always do so with the goal of edifying them, of building them up. Let's read James 2 verse 13 out loud together. If you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly be expected to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Every time. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 simply tells us to encourage, admonish, and exhort one another, and edify, strengthen, and build up one another. You think Paul is trying to get a point across there? (laughs) The bottom line is this, any and all criticism must be constructive, not destructive in nature. Our goal is always to be redemptive or restorative. We are to build up, not to tear down. In fact, if we cannot humbly and mercifully edify the other person in our criticism, then perhaps, let me suggest, it is better to keep your mouth Shut. Which one? Okay. Got it. All right. Here's a simple acrostic that I've used over the years to help me determine whether or not I should confront another person. I use this quite often. I go through this grid before I decide: should I confront her? Should I not? It's based on the acrostic need, N-E-E-D. The N stands for is it necessary. Is it really necessary? Does this need to happen? I mean, really. If it doesn't really need to happen, if no good is going to come out of it, then maybe I shouldn't do it. The first E is will it encourage? <laughs> will it encourage them? Can, can somehow I encourage them in their walk with the Lord by this word of confrontation that I need to have with them. The second E is the word edify. Will it edify? Will it build them up in their walk with the Lord? And then the D is will it dignify? Can I do it with dignity? Which means, by the way, confrontation almost always never happens publicly. (coughs) It happens privately. The place to talk about somebody's Shortcoming is not to everyone else. Or in front of everyone else, it is to be done privately, with dignity. That's the way you'd want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Need. Is it necessary? Will it encourage? Will it edify? Will it dignify? So here are five key take-home principles that we should put into practice in our daily lives when it comes to exercising judgment. The principle of reciprocation, remember, we're going to reap what we sow. The principle of limitation, we're not God, we can't see the heart. We must be careful to know that the scope of our view is limited. The principle of opinion, Judgment can be made in the black and whites, the thou shalt nots and the thou shalts and the thus saith the Lord's, if it's clear in Scripture, but not in areas that we do not understand. The principle of opinion, gray areas, we must be careful with. 
the principle of introspection. Always, 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 first, Jesus says, that's a key word, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to remove the eyelash from the other person's eye. And then the principle of edification. Does it build up? How am I building up? How am I doing good to the other person helping him or her through this? If we would just learn to apply these biblical principles, we would learn how to judge without being judgmental, without being nitpicky and fault-finding. Questions Jesus asked. This morning we've studied the fault-finding question here in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It's a great question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's alive, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts right to the heart. And Jesus, you've done that again today with this teaching. We so much need to hear and to apply what you have taught us today. When all is said and done, may all things be done in love. May Springville Church of the Nazarene be a place where people love each other even as you love Jesus sometimes that requires judgment and discernment but always within these guidelines that we've talked about today help us to learn how to put this into practice even within our community of believers right here teach us O Lord I pray in your precious name Amen